The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. It is Monday, April 22nd, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, in association with lastwordonprowrestling.com, and simulcast inside the locker room at hackerhameen.podbean.com. On this week's show, we're talking CM Punk, the Montreal Screwdrop, your superstar shakeup roster breakdowns, and a whole lot more. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show at hittingthemarks.com and at hackerhameen.podbean.com. My name is Jargo. I will be your host for the day, but give it up for my tag team partner, the man who ate a one-pound steak before we started recording RBV Rick welcome back to your show it's me it's me it's that art of the beat of you Rick Vickery back here again uh, I guess what this is a super show of sorts correct yep it's it, it's, uh, the, it's 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 hitting the locker room that's what I'm calling we're, it. We're, we're hitting the marks inside the locker room as presented by the Hami Media Group but of course we're also going to be sharing this on our platform the HTM Podcast Network but yes Michael Jargo you are right before we kick before we you know, sat down to record this thing, before we got things kicked off, Ooh, my first round of uh, Easter meals was uh, underway. One pound prime rib, baby. Nice and juicy. Uh, all the fixings on the side had the shrimp skewers, you know, stuffed mushrooms for appetizers, the firecracker wraps. Oh, so much, so much delicious going on. But that's just round one. See, I, I had I had lunch there. Then I sit down with you to talk a little pro wrestling, and, and I got to gear up for dinner tonight. Full rack of ribs, baked potato, loaded, loaded baked potato, whatever else I can get my hands on it. I'm still uh, hung over from the Saturday holiday. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 420. Smoke them if you got them, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Huckleberry, we have got a lot of pro wrestling news to talk about. Of course, we did not record a Hitting the Marks pro wrestling podcast this weekend as it's Easter weekend and my schedule's been ridiculous. Your schedule's been absolutely ridiculous. You even did a commentary stint over the course of this weekend. Uh, no, I, I unfortunately, unfortunately didn't make that, didn't make the stint there. Uh, so much going on work-wise and all that and some issues with flooding. So that kind of threw a, uh, a wrench in the gears, if you will. Okay, well, we had a lot of plans this weekend that just did not come to fruition. So instead, we sat on our ass and we watched NBA basketball. But Huckleberry, somebody who didn't sit around and watch NBA basketball over the course of this weekend. Yeah, he didn't come out to the music, but there's an awful lot of speculation that there was a CM Punk sighting at a pro wrestling show Saturday night, MKE Wrestling, at the Knights of Columbus in West Allis, Wisconsin. This is a real story, ladies and gentlemen. The Knights of Columbus in West Allis, Wisconsin. Now, Rick, here's the story. This is a a Silas Young from Ring of Honor ran promotion. The the promotion's been around for years. Punk and Cabana kind of came up through MKE Wrestling and the Knights of Columbus in West Allis, Wisconsin. Punk and Silas Young are friends. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence here. What's your take on this entire thing? 
Well, I guess what do we got here? You know, 25 plus years of shows here at this venue. And this was actually the, the, the farewell. Correct. Indeed. Uh, they're, they're no longer going to be running shows there. They want to do something memorable for the audience. We know that Punk was in the area. So it's you know, not inconceivable that he could have made the trip over. We've got evidence out there of him actually wearing the same the same sweat jacket earlier in the day before coming in here. Uh, we're also seeing reports that, you know, this is this isn't really anything new that he's been doing this sporadically for a, a few friends and spots uh, around the around the indie scene coming in under mask and and doing some. Well, this is an interview. This is an interview that I heard, I don't know, maybe two, three years ago with CM Punk. And somebody had asked him about returning to the WWE and Punk comes out and he says, no, I don't think so. It's one of those things that you never say never. I like to cover all my bases just in case some Internet dweeb is like, you said you'd never wrestle again. WWE? No, absolutely not. But you never know. I could pop up here and there and let me explain that to you a little bit better. It's not going to be anything televised. It'll be me in a ninja fucking outfit wrestling one of my buddies and nobody's ever going to know. Well, obviously everybody knows at this point, the masked man, not Billy Ray Valentine, the masked man comes down the stairs and he jumps into the ring and he hits this dude with a GTS and everybody immediately thinks it's CM Punk. Here's another couple of things to add into this equation, Rick. The the matchup that was going on, one of the gentlemen, the gentleman that actually was picked up by the masked man and covered to make the win is a guy by the name of Ace Steel, who was actually trained by, you guessed it, CM Punk and Colt Cabana. So there's absolutely that connection there as well. I, everything about this says it was CM Punk, which tells me, there's no way this was CM Punk. Well, you know, you know, the first thing there, you over there trying to uh, to link or expose any business with Billy Ray Valentine and some mass mark. I don't think that has any spot here. Well, you see what happened. Room. What happened was I was on the PW hustle and I mistake the mass man for Billy Ray Valentine because I saw a goat face and I just assumed it was Billy Ray Valentine. It turns out it was some guy underneath a mask. Yeah. See, there you go. Uh, you know what? This stuff. I th- I'm really hoping there's a deeper meaning to this. And I, one thing I do want to talk about here is, is you had mentioned in this quote from an interview years ago, what it really meant when he said, I'm stepping away, stepping away from WWE. And, and to me, it really what it reminds me of. And everyone kind of takes that into when he says that, oh, because I've seen this quite a few times. If that was him, he's such a hypocrite. He, he swore he'd never do this. He swore he never. Well, think about this. It's like a relationship or you know, a marriage on that level, if you will. When it falls apart, you know, if your marriage is falling apart there, it hurts. It hurts to your very core. Everything that, you know, your values that you thought you believed was going to be forward, this, this thing called love and all this that's falling apart around you, you, you want to swear all that off, you know, to help yourself heal, to move away. But eventually you're going to heal. You're going to want to find love again. You, you still have that passion as a human inside of you. So even if that is the case, I don't think it's really fair for us to hold something that he said, you know, in the heat of the moment, trying to get as far away and distance himself and just cut off that relationship with WWE. And at that time, pro wrestling is, you know, how he was associated with that later down the line, you're going to find that love and that passion again. So I don't think it's fair to call anyone a hypocrite in that sense. Well, as a guy who's on his second marriage, I can absolutely relate to what you're saying because, you know, after my first marriage fell apart, 
I swore I'd never get married again. And what I really meant was I would never marry her again. I wasn't going to yeah. let her ruin all women for me for the rest of my life. And yeah, that, that's the case here where people need to realize he's moved on. It, he still had that passion in him. He just had to refine that fire. You know, and he's taken that to different levels. That's why he wanted to try MMA because he saw the parallels there. Or, you know, he's involved in jujitsu and all this stuff. There's parallels there where he can still get out and perform and push himself to those limits physically. So that's okay. To tie in that he's possibly been doing this, and even in that interview, it said, hey, if he does it, it's going to be under mass. It's going to be in a ninja outfit. No one's going to know. So why now? Why leak this thing now? It is, you know, Young is a good friend of his, and he's trying to protect his business. He, he had to have gone to Punk and said, hey, I'm going to let this slide. I'm going to let this out here. And the other thing is, too, I don't think a GTS was ever involved. The GTS is what got everybody buzzing. If this guy would have came in and just hit like a rock bottom, nobody would have been any of the wiser. If this guy would have came in and hit a brain buster, nobody would have thought anything about it. But you come into the greater Chicago land area and you hit a GTS literally using the same moniker for because I mean this quote that I read off it's not like it's the first time anybody's ever heard it this was all the rage that was a couple three years ago this this lives up to the quote to a T this is exactly the way to do it and you use a GTS everybody's going to talk about it and everybody's immediately going to assume that it was CM Punk well it took him a little bit in the video when he came in and you could tell right away people were kind of they were unsure what was going on and then one individual started CM Punk you know, it took even a little bit after he hit the to go to sleep. Now, what I'd really love to see here, and I know we're going to talk a little bit of their business here in a little bit, is all elite wrestling. And you know, for how for how could they make a major state? Especially, I don't really know right now. Well, I'm going to take this back. You know, Punk could he's going to absolutely be the only major, major over the top name that would really create a buzz with inside pro wrestling circles. If he did show up at double or nothing, but he does have that somewhat crossover because he has had exposure through UFC. So there is a little bit of that, you know, it's not going to be, you know, the same general reaction. If, if, you know, Hulk Hogan came over for the general audience, but within that wrestling circle, it's really going to turn heads. It's really going to get people back, you know, really full steam on that all elite train. What I'd really like to see here, we've got about a month until double or nothing. Start having these uh, CM society like duplicates popping up all over, just like the, the grassroots program that All Elite is running right now. You don't know when they're going to pop up. Well, have have a guy start coming out in a mask kit to go to sleep at some of these marquee or these bigger indie shows over the next couple of months and let people start really speculating. And I'd really had none of them actually be CM Punk. And then at double or nothing, you have maybe a couple of those guys come in and then one finally is CM Punk when he unmasked there. I was going to say, eventually the payoff to that would have to be CM Punk confronting whoever this is. Well, I, I, that's why I went with the, the CM society. You know, I kind of think of like the phantom. There, there's a bunch of them mimicking him around here or, you know, with a, uh, what was the real Eminem? Please stand up. So you you know you bring out these guys are all hitting his hair, and then the one that unmasked finally is actual CM Punk. I mean that place would go berserk. 
Yeah, they need something like that. We're going to talk about AEW here in just a little bit. But first, we have to talk about the screw job. I can't believe that I'm actually doing a podcast where I'm going to talk about the Montreal screw job, but here we are. Uh, Huckleberry, the other, well, I guess it was last Wednesday, uh, the Vice Channel put out their third part of this documentary series, although I think it's technically the second part because the Brody episode is actually going to air this week, so it's all weird, but they did an episode on the Montreal Screwjob on this week's Dark Side of the Ring, and you know, I was greatly disappointed in this episode, and I, I think the biggest thing is we have heard about the Montreal Screwjob, and we have heard it told a hundred different ways from everybody that was involved. There was no new information here if you have followed this story closely. If you were a casual fan who had never heard this story, this was incredible stuff. But for those of us that have heard about it for 22 years at this point, we, we pretty much know the story. Until the end of the episode. And now, a whole new controversy has erupted on the internet because whose idea was the Montreal Screwjob? Now, on the episode, we have Jim Cornette taking credit for it. We have Vince Russo taking credit for it. And we know the relationship between those two men. And then I've always heard for 22 years at this point that it was actually Triple H's idea. So that was one part of the issue. And then just a couple of days later on Busted Open Radio with Bully Ray, Earl Hebner being the guest on the show talking about the episode so people would go and search it out and watch the episode, Earl Hebner drops the bomb that he thinks the whole thing was a work and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels knew about the screw job before the screw job happened. So now the internet has absolutely erupted. It's 1997 all over again, Huckleberry. This is great. I think, you know, what's what kind of further fuels this, this is, you know, the grandest of grand conspiracies in the world of professional wrestling is that we just saw the Hart Foundation and DX go into the Hall of Fame. As you know, we're talking about the major players here in whatever this was, maybe the top culprits behind this entire ruse, you know, the ultimate work within the business. I, I, you know, this is really hard to jump into. I mean, there's so many different angles you could you could go at here. I mean, this could have been Brett and Sean came up with this thing themselves and worked Vince into it. Well, here's the thing. And Brett kind well, Brett screwed Brett is really what this gets down to because Brett tells the story going into the match in Montreal that he was very, very weary of submission holds because he was aware that, you know, this was a possibility that if Sean would get him into a submission hold, they could just ring the bell and screw him. So then Brett agrees to be put into a sharpshooter in the middle of the match. He's, and, and this is something I'd never heard him say before, but if you go back and watch the video footage, he's absolutely right. Sean didn't even know how to put on the sharpshooter. Brett had to adjust his legs so that Sean put the damn thing on right. So Brett, Brett knew the sharpshooter was coming. Right. I've heard him talk about that, where he even, where there were some reservations about because, you know, they ultimately, when they booked this thing, they wanted to get as much heat as they could out of it. So if Sean could win with the sharpshooter in, you know, in Montreal there, you know, in the home country, the hitman, you know, that's the ultimate just insult to injury. 
But I have heard him say in interviews where, and I didn't trust that finish, but I let them talk me into it because I was going to do, you know, what was best for business. But what, but what I never have heard him talk about, and I haven't seen a documentary, so you're going to fill me in a little bit. To I've seen some bits and pieces from some sound bites and all that, or heard some things. What was the plan finish? What did Brett think the finish was going to be? They never say. They never say what the planned finish was supposed to be. Brett does allude to the fact that he was reaching back to reverse the sharpshooter, which is very, very clear in the video. You can clearly see Brett reaches back and grabs Sean's one leg. Sean kind of falls forward, and then Brett would have stood up into a sharpshooter. Okay, well, I assume me- that would have been the planned finish, because at that time, I don't think anybody had ever reversed a sharpshooter, and it's only logical that Brett would know the reversal. Well, I think especially if you've got a guy that doesn't really know how to apply it. And people were smart enough then. It's, it looks sloppy. He's never used it before. So he's going to be uh, – there's going to be holes in his game with how he's going to apply that there. So Brett being the home – you know, not the home, the home country hero could do the reversal there. What a tremendous finish that would be. And then we've always heard, you know, Brett was, was totally in agreement to go the next night to Detroit and drop it however they want it. But they were terrified that he would just take off at that point. So I'll work under that. So that, but I've just never, it's just weird that they never talked about what, how it was supposed to finish. You never heard anyone talk about that. It makes sense how you're laying it out there. It makes complete sense. But why was that never addressed? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and, you know, even going back to what I'm saying, you know, it, this could have been Sean and Brett it, is all the heat that they've had. And everyone said that they, that they disliked each other. Their circle still hung out quite a bit. And you'd see Davey boy hanging out, you know, with the, the click members or Owen and all that. So it seems like there was that connection those two, it almost seemed, you know, they had to give off that that vibe that they absolutely hated each other to create that heat that they could each stay on top where they were, that they were each calling and battling with each other. It would make sense to me that they, somehow they came up with it themselves and then went with the both the, the pool they had there, especially everything we've heard with what Sean could get Vince to agree to, to go convince Vince said, hey, this is the best way to do this. So maybe they even worked the boss. <laughs> well, it's also interesting because one of the things that's always kind of baffled me is obviously the Wrestling with Shadows documentary team was there shooting as well. And after the match, they show Brett in the locker room and he starts talking with Sean. Like they are in the same locker room after this whole thing. And Brett says, just straight out, ask Sean if he knew anything about it. Sean denies it clearly. And Sean Michaels is a terrible actor. We all know that. We've known that for years. And Brett knew it then. He says he knew full damn well right then that Sean Michaels knew about this thing. Why didn't Brett ever attack Sean? We then hear about the whole, like, he went and he took a shower and that's when he ends up punching Vince and, like, all that stuff checks out. But why didn't he go after Sean in the locker room? Well, I think I think of about a seven a seven foot reason. Was he? No, he wasn't even there. Everybody's not even there. Nash is gone, so you don't have the muscle. That's what I. No, but you got Undertaker in your corner, and you know Undertaker was on Brett's side. That's 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 been clear for years. If who who you had to deal with, but yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I knew he was gone, but. Yeah, the only person I'd be worried about is, you know, just pissing off Nash. But he's he's already at the other company right now. So that doesn't come into play. Well, but he is going to WCW. We do know right. that. Right. And he knows that full damn well. 
Well, at that point, though, it, that would have cooled off. It ain't like he's going to show up to WCW and Sean's boys are going to come after him. He's going to be working for them now. Curious what people think. If, if their perspective has changed at all after watching this documentary and hearing Earl Hebner's comments in the or, hey, days you know, following. To tie all those guys in together, though, uh, yeah, Scott and Kevin are gone to WCW. His massive contract immediately elevates that of Nash and Hall because of the way they were structured to guarantee on anyone coming in, you know, they were they were going to raise percentages themselves. Yeah, that's a good point too. It's interesting, man. There, there, there's Dude, I, a, this, this thing. This might just this runs. This might run deeper than like nine eleven. <laughs> uh, Lincoln's body, you know, uh, all the people try to lift that thing. You know, the, the greatest conspiracies that that our country or the, and the world has ever seen. This thing could run that deep. Yeah, because legitimately everybody stood to benefit coming out of that. Brett with his contract at WCW, Sean as the face of the WWE. Obviously, that one didn't work out because of the injury that he would suffer in January. And Vince, that's the very foundation and root of the Mr. McMahon character. So, well, and, and well, let's look at this though as well, though. And a lot of people might be questioning as we lay this out here, you know, then why wait so long? Why did it take so long to for them to kind of extend that olive branch or rebuild those, those perceived bridges. And I know you got the answer to this. We were talking about it off there. Owen, what it, happened with it, Owen? You think it just, everything really got real and working under the assumption that Montreal was a work and it was the, the world's greatest work. And there were three guys that were in on it. Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. And they all had a, a blood oath that said, this will never be spoken of again. After the Owen thing happened, there's so much pressure from the family. There's so much outside pressure sources that even if he wanted to go back, Brett couldn't have in the immediate future thereafter. Well, then, you know, also with that, you know, Brett doesn't want to go back. He got all of, you know, the ill will that's happening there. And well, hell, there's still heat in the family. The fact that Brett is back and with Owen's widow. Still not allowing him to go into the hall. Could could there be even reasons deeper that they know in the family that this whole thing's been a work? And well that no be. one's really made it clear or cleaned it up because of Owen. And maybe that's why that's why his wife, Martha, correct? Yeah. Maybe that's why she is harboring all this resentment towards the company, you know, and his inclusion into the Hall of Fame. But you know, as I'm sitting here talking about, you know, why wait so long or why so keep it close to your chest? I mean, we are dealing with some guys that inside of their own business. Wouldn't expose something like that. And even if Brett would have come out years later and say, oh, yeah, I knew. Well, then it completely tarnishes his legacy. Yeah, that's very in, in every way. So in a, even on the WWE, it, it would do the same for for Sean in many ways. I mean, just the, the great deal of respect that they would lose. Sean's interesting because Sean Michaels is really more than any other superstar throughout WWE history, there's career one Shawn Michaels and there's career two Shawn Michaels. And career one ended so shortly thereafter Montreal that we never really got to see what would have happened with Shawn Michaels going forward as the face of the WWE. Do they still make that shift to Austin at WrestleMania 14? Or, I mean, you got to believe that, that Michaels himself, from what we have heard from that phase of life, Shawn Michaels, he would have been kicking, screaming, punching, biting, 
anything fighting he could do to maintain his spot. He was not going to let someone come in, especially somebody that is seen as a castaway from WCW, one of those Southern boys, come in and claim his spot. He would have done everything possible to sabotage one Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, I mean, everybody talks about how hot Austin was going into WrestleMania 14. DX was pretty freaking hot, too, with Mike Tyson. Holy shit. If it... If they wouldn't have made that switch at that point and you would have went forward with Mike Tyson as a member of DX, kind of fill in that Rick Rude role, even if it be in a short term with Shawn Michaels on top and a rising Triple H oh, in China behind about him. What if you, you know, you could put the tag team titles on Mike Tyson in China? I mean, just think about the PR, the merch, the machine that you would be pushing behind that itself. And that's the kind of thing where, and history could be completely different because at that point, do Hunter and Stephanie ever become a thing? Like, you can go all the way back, you know, and it all kind of correlates together. Well, you're right. I mean, it could change everything because at some point, I mean, would Sean even hold Hunter down a little bit? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sitting here, you know, trying to make him sound out to be, you know, like this just absolute terrible human being, but we've all heard those stories about how Sean did business. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's the reason that we're perceived heat in disdain between him and, and Hart because of how they handled the business and they were both just everything they could position to take that top spot in the company so there's there's no doubt in my mind you know if Michaels would have been fine he would have done everything possible to sabotage you know the likes of, of a Stone Cold and we've already and they're not they've never been confirmed and all that but you know Rock's kind of alluded to them that, that Michaels was difficult towards him because he saw the star power and potential yeah. And Hunter never becomes a main event talent because that really didn't start until the night after WrestleMania 14 when Sean went away and Hunter assumed the role as the leader of DX. That was really the beginning of main event Triple H. Well, that's where you start your pushing. I mean, that's well, just not just inside the ring or what we saw on air. I mean, that's what started Behind the scenes as well. Yeah. Now, I guess one more before we close here, you know, someone now that, you know, that kind of has How's this stir? We're going back to Hebner. Why now? Why is the timing right for him to come out? I don't know. That's that's an interesting one. I mean, Earl Hebner at this point is semi-retired. He's in basically every Hall of Fame that he's going to get into, and deservedly so. Is this just to stay relevant in 2019 for Earl Hebner? Well, I'd say... That's a that's a great point. If you start to see, I'm sure he's getting booked, you know, for some spot shows and conventions like that. And there's people that want to line up for the pictures and all that. But after all these years, and you you have a serious turnover in the you know the overall fan base, those lines might be getting shorter. So maybe one is, like you said, you know, you need something to refuel your fire. Let me just reignite this thing, this controversy. I've been keeping it. It's been killing me all these years. I couldn't talk to you fans about this, but now's the time. You know, 20 years later, now's the time. Or it could be. He's just tired of being vilified himself. That's all anybody wants to talk to him about. And, you know, that he was in on this thing. Well, and this does bring Earl right back into prominency, thanks to the documentary, because he's featured heavily inside of the documentary and what he knew when he knew it, who he found out from, um, because Earl had told Brett, I'm not going to screw you. And right before he went through the curtain, 
He found out he was going to screw Bret Hart, and he had the car literally running. And he jumps out of that ring as fast as he possibly can, and he gets the hell out of there. This could be just guilty conscience weighing on him for 22 years, and now we're bringing it up inside of this documentary. I'm, I'm on Busted Open Radio with Bully Ray, who's a guy that I've worked with forever and I trust, and this is just two guys sitting here having a conversation, and motherfucker, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, hold on. We got some breaking news here. Uh, it's just has just been released. By uh, by WWE themselves, it's, uh, the Michaels report. Uh, there was no collusion. No collusion with Shawn Michaels and Earl Hebner and Vince McMahon. Shawn Michaels is absolutely acquitted. He didn't know anything. You heard it here first. Uh, the Michaels report, direct from WWE.com, no collusion. Let's shift to AEW and go double or nothing on May 25th from the MGM Grand. Uh, Huckleberry, we've actually got a card now. This thing is kind of starting to lay itself out, and we had a huge announcement over the course of the weekend. Um Dustin Rhodes, very clearly Dustin Rhodes, not gold dust, not the natural Dustin Rhodes. This is just straight up Dustin Rhodes is going to take on his brother, Cody Rhodes, at Double or Nothing. And I got to admit, Rick, when I first heard this announcement, I was not impressed. I was just like, Ugh, okay. You know, and I, I had this whole like monologue and speech about it being a vanity project and Cody feeding his own ego and nobody really wants to see this match. And then I watched it. I watched the, the presentation on the road to double or nothing of Dustin Rhodes and I am fully invested. I want to see this dude just beat the ever loving piss out of his little brother on May 25th at Double or Nothing. I think this is going to be a really good match. I think they're going to tell a really good story if they can get this thing hot enough. I can't wait for Cody's response to, what was this, episode 13 of The Road to Double or Nothing? Uh, you were correct. And just, you know, to kind of go with what you were talking about when this thing was announced, I first saw what was happening before watching, you know, a little bit of their hype, their build. Maybe wasn't, I don't want to say you were down on it, but I, maybe I was a bit more excited for it because, you know, this is something that people had, were waiting for. You know, when Cody was still in WWE, thinking, oh, the undercard for these guys. Bring this full circle. Give them a moment like this, to, you know, just for the family, the name to shine. Let the two brothers go out there and honor their father. And anyone who's really followed these two, you know, it's not the typical, you know, brother, brother, you know, I love my brother relationship. I mean, they're many years apart. They've lived different lives. They were raised in different eras, you know, came up at different times. Sure. You know, with Dustin, the family struggled a bit more where Cody probably saw a little more, you know, extravagant lifestyle because things were just going better for them. And then you have Dustin is out on the road, breaks out so young on himself. He saw some of the struggles, obviously, trying to live up to, you know, his dad and just being so close there and, and working with him and not being able to get over. I mean, that, that has to weigh on you a little bit, not taking away because he's had a tremendous career. I, as he said himself in the road to double or nothing, I mean, he's accomplished about everything possible outside of, you know, a few major main event spots, world championships, but he's, he's experienced, you know, quite a bit that anyone else 
that it's with inside the, the business of professional wrestling would give anything for. I mean, he's been right there. If you would have told somebody in 1996 when they saw Gold Dust for the first time, that guy is still going to be relevant in 2019, they would call you a straight fucking liar. Well, you know, at that point, because you're looking at, you know, they were pushing so hard as the natural and trying to get him everything that they could that, you know, where he had to relive and just do everything, you know, through Dusty's vision. And in many ways, you know, obviously not to the scale of going out and starting his own company, but he took a major gamble, you know, just like Cody is here. You know, it, it was it was pretty crazy what gold dust was back then. And it pushed an envelope that most fans uh, that, you know, listen to the show that the younger fans here that even understand what was really there. It was very uncomfortable at times. And you can't what you had known in professional wrestling. They can't understand it because they can watch the material. You can go back on the WWE network and you can watch it, but you can't watch it in 1996. You can't watch it in 1997, 98, when I, that was just the way the culture was at that point. Like you watch that now and you're like, yeah, what's the big deal? You know, yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, that's, I mean, we could just start flipping through the television right now and find, you know, just stop at a random channel. It's going to be a little more risque, but it was to the point back then where, you know, they couldn't even come out. You know, it was always the, you know, the taboo, you know, the comparisons. Oh, a homosexual. No, no. He's just very extravagant in his ways, you know, over the top and it's mind games. The bizarre one. Yeah. I mean, if they would have came out and you know, I never really got that. It was weird, but I didn't really ever think he was homosexual or thing like that. But that, that's what a lot of people went to. But there's no way on television they could come out and just portray a character like that. I mean, he was he was blowing people away. I guess no pun intended there, but you know, with his antics. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, th- there was hey, there was there was individuals who really didn't like working with them. You know, Ahmed Johnson had a huge problem with that. And it would creep people out, man. You got this this big 325 pounds, six foot five, 325, chiseled from the guys, big old black guy, and you got this painted up creep, you know, rubbing oil, you know, rubbing his chest, trying to make out with him. Oh, there was, was great a, I, stuff. Heard, I remember an interview where Scott Hall had even mentioned how uncomfortable it was because he had to go home to his son and explain why this guy was sitting there trying to kiss him on television. Yeah, he had crazy heat back in the day, man. I, I don't care. You know, my favorite gold dust went back there. We're kind of wondering off, but I mean, just talking, you know, the risk that he took and reinvented himself, but I don't care what him. it just, you know, the, the perception, the illusion of it when Marlena dropped her top on the first shotgun Saturday night. Remember that? Oh yeah. Oh man. That was, that was good great. times. Good times. It, to be an anything, male. You know, great, great. Right. I used to love that shotgun Saturday night, the original format, but he took that risk there. And it's a comparison, you know, of taking those grand risks that you think, you know, that could make or break you. And what it did for him there is it, it launched him, it elevated him, but he is so good in the ring. Even when we transitioned into ruthless aggression, he was so good. Technically, you know, the little stints he would do here and there, he could hang. And then you go into like a PG, you could give him any kind. He was so, he was so great at character work, even to this day, you look at guys like him and R-Truth, they can go out there and just get that crowd, you know, fired up, revved up, ready to go. They know their role on that roster and they execute to perfection. And that, I mean, they are masters of their craft and true professionals in 
in the wrestling business. They have incredible timing. Both of those guys that you just mentioned, R-Truth and Dustin Rhodes, just have incredible timing. Um, but you mentioned the story between Cody and Dustin. And the thing that is so interesting about this, and Dustin brings it up, is we all know the story, but we know it from Cody's perspective. You don't hear Dustin going off and talking about it. And he, Dustin kind of says in the video, I don't know what the hell the problem is here. I don't know where this rift is. I was always there for Cody. I was there when he won his two state championships. I've always been there whenever he needed me. I didn't push him into being stardust. They even bring up that shitty character. I thought that was absolutely great. Just the way that it was presented where Dustin was. It wasn't my idea. That was Cody's idea. Don't be putting all this on me. And it, I, I like I like the presentation of, you know, for a couple of years now, you've been out here and you've been telling this story that's just not the way that things were. And now it's my opportunity to uh, beat a little common sense into you. See, I even like the twist that he put on there. You know, he didn't try to not even try to take credit for or, you know, or kind of direct the blame for how many people see the star Stardust character. He he put it over properly. Yeah. You know, he put it, he said, this was his, he worked on it on his own. He, he was very masterful in this thing. And I want to give him all the credit for that. He's very talented, but then, you know, he goes in and he says, but there's another side to that talent where he's a downright selfish bastard. And we can see that in Cody. We, we, we've seen that for years. The, the, as, as good of a businessman as Cody presents himself as, he also can present himself as a complete egotistical maniac where everything is about Cody. Like, I don't know, booking yourself against your brother at the biggest show that you've ever done. You know, And when I first saw this on paper, that's what I thought it was. You have to see the video. If you have not seen the video, go over to YouTube, type in The Road to Double or Nothing, and find this episode, because the story they're telling is absolutely one worth watching. The other thing that I kind of question about this, Rick, is another gentleman that we'll talk about a little bit later in the show, and that's Dean Ambrose. Because when I did the run sheet... For this show originally, I had the superstar shakeup and I had went through the entire roster and kind of divvied people up by baby faces and heels. We'll talk about that later in the show. Goldust is on that list. He was on that roster when I wrote this run on Thursday. I don't know when this release happened, and it happened very under the radar. You know what they didn't do? They didn't do a special network special tonight on the network. Featuring the Shield's final match from Moline, Illinois, of all freaking places. The Steen Ambrose thing is weird, man. Something else going on. Yeah, this one was this one this was very peculiar with all of this attention that we are seeing from a handful of talents. You know, just outside of you know what they've done with Ambrose with the farewells, the public farewells and all this, but other people just that, that we've heard are so you know, just gruntled employees with inside WWE. This one was never mentioned at all. But yeah, so this one went completely under the radar. Or are they doing a favor? Because Undertaker re-signed and he's got a bail on something. Well, no, because that was through Starcast. Continue. That was through Starcast. Different different company. Well, we don't know though. We don't know. He might have had a back backdoor deal or something like that. 
So we do have seven matches now announced for Double or Nothing, May 25th from the MGM Grand. Your main event, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros for the AAA Tag Team Titles. Kenny Omega takes on Chris Jericho, and Jericho's character is taking a very interesting turn here all of a sudden. He wants everybody to kneel before Jericho and thank him for something. Cody Rhodes takes on Dustin Rhodes. Hangman Page versus Pac. SoCal Uncensored versus Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. Dr. Britt Baker takes on Nyla Rose and Kylie Ray in a triple threat match. And then we have the return of the Over the Budget Battle Royal, which they're, they're doing a real nice job with this road to double or nothing, building some of these stories for, for people inside of this Over the budget battle royal like brandon cutler um if you this entire series i mean i watched i don't know probably five or six of them over the course of the last couple of days they're only about 10 minutes long if you have a chance and you're interested in all elite wrestling this is where you're getting the basis for the aew tv show rick i'm wondering if part of this footage is what will be involved in the upfronts as well as any independent footage that they may have of some of the talent. Well, we've got, what is the exact date on that? We've got about two weeks. May 15th. May 15th. And, you know, to me, we're still in a holding period until then. Until we, you know, looking at this card here, I got to tell you, I I know this is going to be that that grand launch for them, you know, where this thing really becomes real. But what's going to be the precursor to that? What's really going to lay the foundation is that upfront. So I'm having a little trouble getting excited about this card and, and trying to think back to how I felt going into when we got the announcement or the beginning, you know, the big matches beginning to be announced for all in. I have to say I'm a little underwhelmed here. Well, and this goes back I'm to a what little we, underwhelmed. This goes back to what we were talking about to begin with when they started announcing this card. Now we're building a promotion. We're not just building a, a dream card full of dream matches with the best talent from around the world. We're actually building a real promotion now. It's a very, very different kind of mindset. Well, I understand that here, and, and that's why I, I don't I, I don't want to sound harsh. I am looking forward to this thing, but I'm not so interested in the actual matches, what's going to happen, you know, just that that moment when they hit the air there. There's so much more in at play here. There's this grander picture, this grander stage that we need to focus in on. To me, that's more interesting when we're talking about becoming an actual company than just pulling off a show like All In. I mean, that was in the novelty of itself, was just in that moment. And then being associated with StarCast and having you know all of us, the thousands upon thousands of us, just kind of flock to that area in a tremendous gathering. This is creating a whole new world. You know, this isn't just a moment. I mean, you're creating a world that you're hoping can last, you know, for for generations to come here. There's so much more at play. I'm more interested in what we're going to get at this upfront. And and through that, obviously, we know they got great support from the people from their core audience, those that are already there. Are they going to be able to expand beyond those borders, those horizons? Are they going to be able to just not get, you know, the 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 average WWE casual fan, but people that just that want a little more, maybe a little more substance. Those that have left professional wrestling because they feel what they realize is professional wrestling and WWE has left them. 
You know, they need someone to invite them back to the table. Are they going to be able to pull that audience, that consumer base? To me, the, the business aspect here is much more intriguing than anything we have going on with a card. I'm sure there are some people that are very anxious to hear us talk about the TV deal and all of the rumors that are going on with the TV deal. But unfortunately, at this point, that's all we have right now. Everything is rumor and innuendo, and we're, we're hearing way too much that is contradictory to everything that we've heard before. So I think we're just going to take a step back and, and kind of let this thing unfold, and then we'll uh, kind of comment on what we think of this whole thing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a fair a fair way to approach it because obviously, you know, with our backgrounds at all that we could sit and talk probably for two hours just on the rumors swirling around what's going to happen at this upfront. And I, and I see, you know, from every different angle, you know, what we kind of always pride ourselves here. And one of the things that, you know, when we use the term Mark chart, you know, a lot of people kind of throw throwing that out. It's catching on, baby. It's catching on. I love it, but they don't understand it. And a part of it to, to counter that is, to you know, prove that you don't fall under that classification, that category, is you need to have the ability to step back and, and kind of go three, 360 around a certain subject and look at it from every angle and find pros and cons out of it instead of just kind of just, you know, just jumping off the roof with whatever your first thought is. If there's so much going on that we can't even begin to grasp because we simply do not know. But to me, that's going to be the most interesting story, especially here in the next two weeks for anything with AEW. But you know, this card itself, we were just, we we're just putting over Cody and uh, this kind of give me that feeling was my match. Even going into all in is a classic throwback. What we saw for the NWA world's championship, you know, heavyweight championship. And we had all this in Cody. That's going to be this type of match. It's not going to main event there. We already know the main event and all that. It's going to fall right in there. It's going to have a, it's going to have something special about it. Something where you take a step back in time and feel just that classic vibe of professional wrestling. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to Hangman Page in Pac to see what the hell they're going to do here. I think this is going to be one of their big stories as as you do go forward. It's going to kind of lead us into television in the fall. These two are going to be major players going against one another. But unfortunately, the two big matches that they're selling this thing on, I don't have a whole lot of interest in the AAA tag title match. And I don't have a whole lot of interest in what Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho got going on. Yep. I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, you were talking about... Ex- it, 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 well, I was going to say, that's just simply because the Lucha Brothers are overexposed. And I, it's still kind of irks me a little bit or maybe I, don't, I just it's to a point where i just don't even care but it and it's because of omega and jericho immediately exposing their past business why should i care this time yep exactly it's not the same dynamic as we had going in the first time at this point i want to see jericho versus cody more than i want to see jericho versus omega strictly from the build on the road to double or nothing you talked about expanding borders let's uh let's jump over to the world of new japan pro wrestling for a quick update we had uh the first big road to dantaku show juice robinson defeating bad luck fale to retain his iwgp united states championship and uh rick you will enjoy this match if you haven't seen it already uh it's it's a story as old as time i think well at least as old as wrestlemania 3 this entire thing is built around juice robinson being bound and determined to slam bad luck fale in the end he finally does and he gets himself the big win 
Hey, you can't beat classic storytelling. Yep. And uh, the Japanese audience was into it, even if I wasn't. And it's, it's just not just professional wrestling. It's anywhere. You know, you got that big, bad obstacle in your way and you just want to body slam it. Show that you could pick it up and throw it down. That, that's just life. Yep. Then we had a match that absolutely had me fully invested. Kota Ibushi defeats Zack Sabre Jr., now taking the the win in the series three to two for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship match. Rick, this was Kota Ibushi versus Zack Saber Jr. Every time these two guys get in the ring together, you can, you can just bet on four and a half stars because they just have incredible chemistry. Ibushi is very flexible, and Zack Saber Jr. makes the absolute most out of the flexibility that is Kota Ibushi. In the end, Zack Sabre Jr. pissed off Kota Ibushi, and Kota Ibushi, he keeps doing the Bumaye. He keeps doing the Bumaye, paying homage to Shinsuke Nakamura, which I find interesting because it seems as though it's an absolute foregone conclusion that Nakamura is going to re-sign with the WWE, but it's like Kota Ibushi's trying to dangle a carrot out there, like, hey, come back to Japan. Hey, let's do this. Hey, come on. Come on, let's do this. Uh, I, I need some light for World Tag League. Yeah, right? Um, I very much enjoyed the angle afterwards, though. Tetsuya Naito comes out after uh, Ibushi has, has finally defeated Zack Sabre Jr. And he says, I'm here to apply for your next challenger to the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, which I thought was kind of weird because it's Naito and the Intercontinental Championship. And then Naito says, well, you know, unless anybody else wants to come out and challenge you for the Intercontinental Championship instead of me, you know, anybody else want to come out and nobody else comes out. So Naito's like, okay, well, I guess I'll challenge you for the Intercontinental Championship because I have nothing to do on the road to Dantaku. So let's fight again. That's pretty much the storyline here. Naito's going after a title that he doesn't really want. He just really wants to beat Ibushi. I don't even think it's about the Intercontinental title. I think he just wants to beat Ibushi. Well, I, you know, I love the way that's presented as well because it just plays into the you know how nonchalant he is towards it. And he just doesn't care. Like, yeah, you know, if, if no one else got anything to do, I ain't got nothing going on, man. It's just, okay. I'm on the tour. You're on the tour. You know? Right. <laughs> that's Just makes sense, you know? That's Naito for you. So we're looking at Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito at some point, I'm guessing probably May 3rd for the Intercontinental Championship. I absolutely expect Ibushi to win that and then go into the G1 as the Intercontinental Champion. And I think Naito has to go into the G1 as the favorite to win the G1 Climax this year. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. I mean, so many possibilities, you know, with stories going into that G1. And every year that I'm, I get more and more drawn into what's going on in New Japan and just the excitement level that I have just the rise because how they tell that story with so many, so many puzzle pieces going into that tournament, it's, it's something truly special to behold. Hey there. Do you like Ring of Honor? Yeah. Do you like Impact Wrestling? Sure do. How about independent wrestling? Of course, who doesn't? Do you like the WWE? Yeah, I could take it or leave it. Do you like Kim Kardashian? <laughs> no. Good, because we don't talk about her here. This is Turnbuckle Talk. Member of the Hitting the Marks Porousing Podcast Network. Check us out on Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcatchers by searching Turnbuckle Talks. 
and find your friends at the HTM Podcast Network by searching Hitting the Marks. You will be glad you did, as Big Joe and myself, Carl Carafel, take you on an audible journey into the world of professional wrestling every week. With the HTM Podcast Network, you can listen to shows like the Wrestle Popcast, Tables, Athers, and Chairs, the PW Hustle, and of course, the flagship show, the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast at HittingTheMarks.com. So be sure to keep up with the greatest Canadian podcast duo and listen to Turnbuckle Talk. Hey, this is Stevie Richards. I'm here to tell you, you don't necessarily need all this equipment to get in the best shape of your life. All you need is this, a resistance band. I'm so excited to offer the 12-week resistance band training program to you, which features an interactive PDF with full overview videos, modifications, descriptions of all the exercises, scalability, no matter what fitness level or what age you are, the PDF scales the workout to you. Also, after your instant download of the PDF, you get full direct email support right from me, as well as access to a Facebook group with an awesome interactive community. I can't wait to help you take control of your fitness journey. So just put in stevierichardsfitness.com, go to the store, and download the 12-week resistance band training program. Hey, what's up, you Melvins? It's your boy TKO Ryan, one third of the best six man tag team on the planet, The Kingdom. Hi, this is Ali. Salutations. This is Dalton Castle. I'm David Arquette. My name is Rich Swan. What's up, guys? This is Jeff Cobb. Hello, everyone. This is Bill After. Hi, this is Ring of Honor Super Official Todd Sinclair. You're listening to The Lock. So let's talk a little bit of WWE Huckleberry. It's, it's about that time. Um, I guess we'll start off with Drew McIntyre and Drew McIntyre is not a very happy sociopath the way it seems. Uh, Drew McIntyre released this quote here just a couple of days ago. I can look around now and I see people who have lost perspective. McIntyre said of the WWE locker room, they're perhaps tweeting about how upset they are with their lack of opportunity instead of bettering themselves or working harder outside of the ring. They're clearly not going to the gym and they don't have that fire anymore. I understand because I was there and I can spot it because I was that guy. It's my job and my character's job to get rid of those who don't necessarily have that fire and remind me of my younger self. You know, when I look at the WWE roster right now, Rick, Drew McIntyre is probably the one guy in that locker room I don't think I would want to piss off. I think Drew has kind of walked in there and just straight taken over that locker room, kind of like Undertaker did all those years ago. Drew's going to fill that role of... Hey, if you got a problem, you take it up with Drew. Well, I think you know, go one, you know, one step further here. I love how he took, you know, accountability for himself. I was there. That's the reason I lost my opportunity. I mean, hell, he was dubbed the chosen one. And you know, looking at everything, you know, all the tools that he had with him, it was hard to argue. But he wasn't ready for that stage. He wasn't ready for that opportunity. He took some things for granted. Had to leave the company, had to go out there on the road on his own, reinvent himself, find out what it truly you know, meant to have that stage to perform on, to have 
you know, just to support the backing. You know, we can sit here and people can try to vilify WWE and, and what they do and how they mistreat talent and all that. Sorry, it's still the biggest and grandest and best stage to work on because you're going to be compensated. You're going to be taken care of. And what that does even further is when you eventually leave there, if you want to go somewhere else, it raises your stock. You're worth more from the time and success that you've had there. He realizes that now. He's not taking that for granted. I would agree with you 100%. It seems that he is, he has or is trying to seize that, that leadership role in a locker room, a very young locker room, a different era, if you will, that doesn't maybe understand the, the traditional values of how you handle you know handle yourself, just not in professional wrestling, but in business, because this is a lot of what they've only known. You know, it's WWE. And and I see him going and, and actually doing this in an interview form where you know Undertaker would take care of it in-house. You wouldn't have him going to the press with this thing. That's a good point. But, but what Drew's realizing, though, if you want to get to these talents, you have to take this approach because they're all going to social media. They're going to the press thinking that is the outlet for their voice. So that's also how they're consuming material. That's how they're being fed it. So now when they catch wind, now when they go to read the sheets or someone's tweeting them things, you know, where they're taking their information and they're going to get Drew's message loud and clear at that point. Then if you want to take it to the next step, then you keep it personal backstage behind closed doors. But this is Drew realizing in this age, this is how this this young crap of town is handling their business. So he's going to go right there. You know, he's going to go to that outlet, that platform and let them let them know this isn't right. And you need to realize this. I've been down that path before. I'm not just trying to sit up on a high pedestal and talk down to you. I've been there. I want to guide you. Well, and now it seems as though the company is getting on board with Drew McIntyre because the company has come out and kind of laid the smackdown on all this bullshit that's been going on on social media. And the company has said, we're not granting anybody their release anymore. If you're unhappy with the company, and it sounds like this is starting with Luke Harper. If you're unhappy with the company, tough shit. You either show up to work and you get paid or you can go home and you can sit out your contract, but they're not releasing anybody from their contract anymore. I don't know, man. I kind of see this from both sides because, you know, the company can release anybody at any point they want, but if the talent wants to be released, they're not going to be releasing them anymore. This kind of sounds like an employer and employee kind of relationship, not an independent contractor. Well, and I, I do see the conflict there, but ultimately, and this is maybe this goes back, you know, to how how Dustin handled his. We didn't see this or go anywhere. Maybe he just went to them as a man, as a, someone who knows how to handle traditional business and requested this. And, you know, and he's given so much to that company. He's probably got a tremendous relationships where he's like, you know what? I am going to leave and go work with my brother's company and all this. You guys know I'm not going to be a major game changer where you know sponsors and all this are going to feel threatened that I've jumped over there. And that would make sense, you know, to let someone like that go. I, and there's very few people that could really, you know, have that kind of influence making the move because it's well, hell, the way they. We've even debated if Ambrose will have that influence. Why? I think, well, because it's all about brand brand supremacy, where, you know, no superstar is ever going to get close enough to touch that again. And, now, you know, my hundred people think how highly they think of Roman Reigns. He'll never fly, you know, as high as a Hulk Hogan, a Stone Cold or a Rock, simply because that they even held Cena down 
you know, under those standards because you don't want to lose its brand supremacy. It's all about your brand there. I wonder, you know, if they would still grant releases if you handled the right way. But I could see from the office they're, they're getting a little fed up with these people, you know, this, this millennial age group, if you will, that just think that you can go air out anything and say anything you want on social media and it is okay. That there will be no ramifications against you here. I'm going to be really interested to see in this next cycle here, you know, when we start seeing new contracts in the next year or so getting structured, if they're going to include buyouts. That's that, that'll make things a lot more interesting, actually. Sasha Banks, you want to you want out? You owe us two million dollars. You betcha. Yeah, that's interesting. I could see them going that route too. Because we know for the remainder of your contract what we can make on your merch, and we and, hey, they're smart. They got all the, the brightest legal minds out there, and we know what you can really make on that open market. We will grant you a release, but you owe us two million dollars. That would get things a lot more interesting. Uh, Huckleberry, we're, we're, we're already a little over an hour, so let's skip this NXT stuff. We'll jump into that next week on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast because I don't think Hunter can be very happy about this series of call-ups, but I really want to get to Raw and SmackDown, and I'm afraid that we have both Raw and and SmackDown previews now. You know, it's amazing that Roman Reigns goes to SmackDown and suddenly we get a SmackDown preview. See how that works? Crazy, isn't it? So let's talk. So Roman Reigns was writing these previews? Obviously, that's that's the only thing that I that's the only logical conclusion that's out there. Roman Reigns working for WWE.com. It's a real in-house family kind of ran business. Uh, let's talk about Monday Night Raw. This show coming to us from Des Moines, Iowa. No, I'm not going. I'm, there's no way I would pay to go to a Monday Night Raw. Are you freaking ridiculous? But the first thing that is on the run for this week, new talent looking to make a splash at Monday Night Raw. Now, Rick, last week when we first got this thing, I went through and I divvied up the whole roster. I have baby faces, I have heels, I have women baby faces and women heels, and hell, I even did a tag team depth chart. Now, this depth chart is actually kind of how I think the company sees the talent. It's not necessarily how I view the talent. So that keep that in mind as I'm going through some of this talent. The babyface side of Monday Night Raw right now looks like this. Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, The Miz, Rey Mysterio, Braun Strowman, Cedric Alexander, Goldust, oh wait, nope, he's not there anymore, and No Way Jose. So Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, The Miz, Rey Mysterio, Braun, Cedric Alexander, No Way Jose. Rick, how do you feel as that as your babyface side of the roster for a three-hour show? Because it seems really, really light to me. Well, you know, unless they're planning on having Rollins wrestle like two 20-minute matches, uh, it's really, I don't know how they're going to get through this here. Yeah, it's just, it's not deep enough for a three-hour show. Heel side of the roster looks like this. Brock Lesnar, who obviously is a part-timer. Yeah, I'm here. I think we have a terrible lag. Why don't we hang up and reconnect? All right. Okay. Welcome to intermission. Yeah, intermission. 
All right, so the heel side of the roster breaks down like this. Number one, we have Brock Lesnar. Obviously, part-time, we don't know if he's going to be on Raw, if he's going to be on SmackDown. He's Brock Lesnar. He can do whatever the hell Brock Lesnar wants to do. Then we have your your regular full-time roster. Breaks down Drew McIntyre, Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley, Andrade, Sami Zayn, I assume Bray Wyatt, Bobby Roode, EC3, Eric Young, Jinder Mahal, Mojo Rowley. So the heel side of the roster definitely deeper, but Rick, I'm just I'm not seeing these matchups. Well, I think too, you know, some of the names in there like Eric Young stands out to me. We don't really know what we're going to get from him right now. It's been so long since we've seen him play, you know, any kind of baby character, but we know he's perfectly capable of it. You know, are we going to get a, a shakeup within how you know what side of the fence these guys are aligned on? How are they going to re you know kind of re sculpt? Now that we're past the shakeup, I think of anything after the last, you know, following WrestleMania, it was almost, you had a throwaway week there. The shakeup itself was very underwhelming. If you're going to tune in for anything, what do you, this has to be it. I mean, this really has to start defining moving forward here. Or do we really just, or do we put everything on the shelf until we get to Saudi and start really worrying about money in the bank? Well, I guess the other person to talk about here would be Samoa Joe. Because Samoa Joe, obviously the United States champion, still on SmackDown, along with Finn Balor, who's the Intercontinental champion, also now on SmackDown. It is anticipated that Samoa Joe is going to make a move over to Monday Night Raw. So then you have Drew McIntyre, Samoa Joe, Baron Corbin, Bobby Lashley as your top four heels on Monday Night Raw. Your top four babyfaces, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, The Miz, and Rey Mysterio. Does that do it for the next year? I'm still working under the pressure. Hey, this whole thing is just buying them time. They're trying to keep people excited to get to the summer. And we are going to see if they head into, you know, where they split, where they've got to make both parties happy between NBC Universal and Fox. I, I think the pressure is really going to be on them. I think they're going to try some things through the year to try to find that formula. I don't know if they're going to get to it. I'm still thinking that the brand split's going away. If you're going to present, you know, top, top-notch quality programming to two of the top networks that are going to be breathing down your, breathing down your neck, I think you got to scratch this thing and combine these rosters. I also thought, you know, maybe they'll just go heavy on the women on Monday Night Raw, and that's not the case either, because your your babyface side of the roster at this point is Becky Lynch, who's on both shows, Alexa Bliss, Naomi, and Natalia. That's all the baby faces on Monday Night Raw. Your heels are currently on Raw. You have Rousey, Lacey Evans, Sasha Banks, assuming she stops throwing a fit, Nia Jax, once she comes back from injury, Ruby Riot and Sarah Logan, who have been defined down to jobber status. Dana Brooke, who never got promoted from jobber status. And Zelina Vega, who they just use as a valet for Andrade. Like, there, there, there basically is no women's division on Monday Night Raw. Well, I, you know, what's evident of, you know, the lack of depth in this thing, and not even just depth, I'm going to say actual star quality. 
What's evident here is that they had to take Lacey Evans and immediately in her first real program, put her against a women's champion. I mean, that to me is an, is an act of desperation. You're not even uh, giving the character an opportunity to develop for people to, to understand what's going on, to you know love or hate, to invest in it because they have nothing fresh to present right now. Outside of Becky Lynch, your number one baby face on Monday Night Raw is Alexa Bliss, who I think is still playing a heel. They're, they're still fighting that she is a baby face, but it's clear she is a baby face at this point. Yeah, when I saw this, I, it was quite a question because you had Becky listed under the baby, not Becky, uh, Alexa listed under the baby faces. And I was like, what? Is this like a typo? But then I knew what you, which you were kind of alluding towards is you're 100% right. The fans want to embrace Alexa Bliss, and they have for some time now. And it's kind of just a testament to how, how good she is, you know, at her craft. And, you know, and we've only seen her in the small doses where she's been working the persona through a moment of bliss. And now we're seeing that transition back into the ring where she was quite dominant, you know, this, this last time out. The fans are gravitating towards that. They want to they want to cheer for her. Now, as you put it out there, is this something that the WWE is just going to try to fight against, uh, or, you know, just not going to let this thing happen kind of organically. And I can understand a little bit why they would do that. You're going to need someone ultimately that is a presentable challenger for Becky. And right now she is the hottest thing in the company. Yeah, I can, I completely agree. And when, when you look at the, the rest of the heel roster, you're without injury and people that are gone from suspension or whatever the hell is going on with Sasha Banks. Right now, the heel side of the roster on Monday Night Raw is Lacey Evans, Ruby Riot, Dana Brooke. Well, as you kind of look at this thing going forward, you know, we are hearing the rumors that there is the plan to uh, hashtag real era. Anything that was going on with Sasha Banks, bring her back is kind of that disgruntled employee and potentially put her into a program with Becky. I think, you know, just just by the nature of their actual history. That's going to pick up some ratings. That's going to draw some attention to them. But then I even look here, you know, what? where does that leave Alexa Bliss? Again, she seems to be that odd individual out. It becomes quite, quite the damn shame because of how talented she is. And I could make an argument when we're looking at the upper echelon, what we really have left. In, and you have to play creative into this, how the personas have been handled. Charlotte's really all you have left here with Becky. We, we can't revisit that. Uh, as well we would think so we're going to talk about that here in a little bit but in a long-term program you need some other competitors uh, obviously you have the building story there with Sasha but 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 Bliss is actually better than Becky and Sasha when it comes to the all-around craft of it I wonder if they're afraid a little bit to you know let a, letting Bliss and Becky get in there and mix it up because Bliss will actually expose a lot of the weaknesses within Becky and I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion it's going to be a, a hard pill for many to swallow but right now, she is so high because she was given a hot character, and they don't even really know how to handle that right now. She isn't doing anything with that, that badass Becky character. I mean, she's just kind of just stuck around doing nothing. She's not creating any kind of havoc. She's not creating any kind of interest in what her going forward. And this thing with Lacey just, just proves the lack of depth that you have to bring in a, a newcomer. I mean, she's, she's only had, what, three matches? Yeah, and only one singles match, and it was last week when she defeated Natalia to become the de facto number one contender. Yeah, instead of introducing a character, letting people invest in it, 
you know, love it or hate it, at least you can invest in it and understand what the hell they're trying to present to you. They're not doing that. You know, they're just, they're just for whatever reason, just launching this thing to the top. And then from there, from where, you know, okay. So you get a couple months out of this thing. Then maybe after this is done, you know, Sasha comes back, you get her ready after, well, they were talking about, I heard maybe she will win the women's money in the bank so that she's the chaser now. But then it brings up another question with Sasha coming back in. You're going to bring her in as a disgruntled employee, and the WWE expects people to do that? Yeah, well. Because you have you have that big chunk, that very vocal. I, I know it's a, a minority, but it's a good-sized chunk, and they are very vocal. We'll see through this, and we'll see that you're they're going to perceive it as you're forcing her to work. Yeah. Is still believing that she had actually requested a release. I, I'm not buying into that thing. I thought this entire thing was a work from the get-go, hashtag real era. But a lot of people aren't going to buy it that way. And they're, they're going to rally behind Sasha. So now you're going to have a seemingly two disgruntled horsewomen going at it with one another. Let's talk a little bit about your, your other girl, Charlotte Light, otherwise known as Lacey Evans. Uh, last week on Raw, we saw the match between her and Natalia. I went back and watched the match, Rick. What did you think of Lacey's basically in-ring debut on the Red Brand? Because I can tell you right now, I was not impressed at all. I, I liked a lot about it. You know, I like her character work, and I think she can sell and tell a story in there. She's still not as crisp. You can tell she's still trying to pick up that red or blue style, which is different than NXT. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't that good in NXT. Yeah, She wasn't massive, masterful there. It was one of those cases where, okay, we got more of a persona than we do an in-ring talent here. We need to do something with this and we need some more depth. You know, we need something different up on the red and blue just to shake it up. What I took from that matchup last week on Monday Night Raw was during the Royal Rumble, we saw Lacey and Natalia kind of squared off. And I took that as, okay, Lacey, show us what you got. Because if you can't have a good match with Natalia, you're probably not going to have a good match with anybody. And the Rumble match was a mess. So I felt like Monday on Raw was kind of a status report. Let's see how Lacey's doing with uh, getting up to speed inside the ring. I still was not impressed, man. I, I don't think there's any way... you've talked about Becky not being as good as Charlotte or Rousey. I don't see any way that this is going to be a good match between Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans. I just don't see it. Yeah. I I don't think Becky can carry it to that level. Going back to your question, you know, what I thought about the match, I I think your assessment is, is perfectly fair because of one thing, because it had a number one contender stipulation put on it. If this is just a match to start letting us learn about Lacey and growing her, I think it would have been very suitable. But when you slap that gimmick on it, you got that number one contender, it changes the complete dynamic. It's a damn shame that we fed Ruby Riot to Ronda Rousey because right now we could use Ruby Riot as a strong heel character on this babyface and heel roster for the women on Raw, but she's just so defined down by the booking at this point that I don't see it. Even splitting her off from Logan and Morgan, I just don't see it. Well, it, and that that brings into question, you know, the creative's foresight to actually, you know, look, you know, see down the road at what you could potentially have. You gained nothing by going out and having Ronda Rousey run through the riot squad, you know, all three of them, you know, you know, just within minutes, within like six minutes, you gain nothing with that. Everyone respects Ronda Rousey. They know she can do that. If you were to save something like that, 
the, the Riot Squad would have been a tremendous program coming out of WrestleMania with with Becky Lynch to establish that badass. You know, now now she's got three on one. Yeah, sure, she just took down. You know, she just survived Charlotte and Ronda Rousey, which you know had a hell of an accomplishment itself. But now she's got three people that are a cohesive unit that are all geared with one goal: is to take you out. That's how you build up. You know, if you're going to have your baby with the title. I mean, that goes back to Hogan booking. You know, they, they bring in these giants that could squash him down, even though, you know, he's the baby with that title. You believe that they could come get you with numbers and size. And then you really elevate Ruby herself is kind of, I mean, her persona would have complimented, would have been the perfect villain for what we're getting here with Becky. The one that I'm looking to right now, if I have to elevate somebody on this women's heel side of the roster, it's going to be Zelina Vega. I mean, they basically just use her as a valet. She hasn't been defined down. She's fantastic in the ring. I elevate Zelina Vega, even though I think that's going to do terrible things to Andrade. Well, I mean, that's it's going to be one of those, which is more important right now? Which do you choose? Right now, I think the more important priority is Becky. Okay. Andrade puts a ring on it. He's safe anyway. There is that. <laughs> But when you so we, we we went through the men's roster, we've went through the women's roster, and we think that both of them are light on Monday Night Raw. So let's take a look at the tag division because Rick, this tag division is stacked. You have the Major Bros on top right now as your Raw Tag Team Champions, and then you have the Usos, the Flying Dutchman, the artist formerly known as War Machine, the Revival, AOP, and then there's a drop off into the second tier when you get to the Fashion Police, the B Team, Rhino and Slater, Lucha House Party, and the Ascension. But this is a deep tag division. I just don't trust them to use more than two teams at a time. Or I'm wondering if, you know, if we're going to get a bunch of mix and match, uh, six and eight man, three, take them tag teams, throw them together. You know, oh, would this be cool? Let's, like, let's, let's throw a war machine with AJ Styles or with Seth Rollins versus so-and-so. <clears throat> Where they're kind of just going to be bit players in this thing. Or they'll just throw two, two teams together to go out there and kill some time. You know, let's go out there and have an eight man. That'll eat up a good half hour programming each week. Yeah, and you're going to need it on that three hour show. Um I guess let's talk a little bit about War Machine. Obviously, we saw their debut on the main roster last Monday night, and I guess there was an audible laugh from the Montreal crowd when they came out and they presented the Viking experience. Now, you know, Rick, I don't even have nearly as much of an issue with the name the Viking experience as I do them changing their goddamn names. Why did we have to change Hanson and Roe? What did they make them? Elick and Ebar or some stupid shit like that? But what's wrong with Hanson and Roe? I did hear a few reports that were stating that that was their idea. Oh, that was a terrible kinda, idea. If they wanted to kind of evolve this thing. And obviously those names play into the Viking lore, you know, as they have great meaning there. Yeah, but everybody really, I mean, this was one of the big hot button topics of the week, you know, before, like, you know, the CM Punk thing. I mean, this really set people off, which really surprised me. You know, my first thing was, if this is the worst, if this is in the top five bad moves creative in WWE makes this week, consider yourself lucky. If a name change is the worst thing that happens to these two great talents, then they should consider themselves lucky. And when you really dive into it, there was a bunch of other logistics there. You know, obviously, when you throw something out there, everyone immediately was, oh, he doesn't want the word war. And I don't think that's true in any well, way. Well, yeah, because we can shoot that down right now. Raw is war. The Monday Night War. 
war games. Like, war is not the problem here. Right, the war goddess. You know, it, it's, it, they have other things there. But again, you know, maybe this was a case where Vince just didn't like the term war, you know, because he doesn't apply the same logic to every situation. But I don't think that was it. If anything, to me, it would be Raiders. Uh, mainly because, you know, when he, especially in Viking lore, when you apply Raider, those were the individuals that went in and raped and robbed and murdered. Not necessarily such a PG thing. Digging into this, it potentially had more to do with trademarking issues. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of people when they hear Raider immediately think in the NFL, uh, but hell, War Raider is a Kiss song, correct? Well, War Machine. War Machine, yeah, yeah that's is what it is. War song. Machine was Kiss song. That's what, yeah, that was one of the things there. So you're, you're not going to want to get into a trademark battle with Kiss, who are the kings of branding. Oh, yeah, because Gene Simmons will shoot the shit out of somebody if you even say, like, we might have said Kiss on this show too many times. Oh, and then, and then I know what it was. Uh, there was a potential for a campaign once the Raiders get set up in Vegas, you know, like War Eagle down in Auburn. They were going to run a potential for a campaign War Raider. Hmm. Uh, so that was, and you know, there are so many different kinds of trademarks that you have out there. You have like your general use and your merchandisings and. This so at just that seems point, so generic to me. Like, it, I would have been fine if they would have called them like the Sons of Odin. Okay, but, you know, let's look at here, you know, and we talk about their target demographic. They still try to, I mean, obviously we're looking at the ratings. We know who's watching. We know who's spending money on this. It is the older crowd. Uh, it's people our age, but they do have their kids involved. So when you bring in someone, you need to bring in a four or five-year-old, someone like you or, you know, Levi, my nephew, and that when, when he looks at that, he might, what's a war machine? What's a war raider? But it's a lot easier to understand Viking I still think it sounds like a ride at Disneyland. Let's take a look at. Hey, the, I told you, hey, it's gonna help it when they sell when they sell to Disney. Let's take a look at the uh, SmackDown roster before we get out of here today. Uh, the SmackDown roster is fascinating, Rick, because when I look at the babyface side, this is a good lineup. You have Kofi Kingston, Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Mustafa Ali. R-Truth, Apollo Crews, and Sin Cara. I would be fine with that as a babyface roster on a two-hour show. The problem is Kofi Kingston and Roman Reigns, and is there enough room for both of them on one show? And I don't think that there is. Well, you know, this goes back to, you know, Kofi was the hot ticket. The rise happened so quickly. Do they really have long-term plans for him here? You got to believe way before Kofi mania was a thing, they knew what they were doing with Roman Reigns. Eventually he was going to be making his way to SmackDown live. We also have to take into consideration, you know, the Saudi movement, you know, we got to get through Saudi right now. I'm suspecting, you know, Kofi goes in defense there, you know, however they're going to handle that Romans occupied through that now with this Vince McMahon nonsense. And, what you have is in Daniel Bryan returning, which he can get back into the storyline programs, retake the title, and then going into SummerSlam, you probably have Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns. What do you think? Well, th there's a lot going on with Daniel Bryan that people aren't talking about because nobody's saying anything. What I have kind of heard behind the scenes is Daniel Bryan may have suffered another concussion. And if that's the case... Who knows where things stand with Daniel Bryan? We haven't seen him since WrestleMania. 
Well, I, I do like to, you know, you got this thing broken up and with your tags, you got New Day down there. I still think, you know, you could have a tremendous program, especially heading in. If, if they are going to, and I'm going to stand by, I, I, you know, 90% believe that this shakeup was just to hold people over to try. It was just, you know, some lowbrow booking to try to hold people over, keep them bottom, bottom feeders happy that well, this isn't going to stay until we get to the new television deal because these networks are going to look at this in a lack of depth, lack of star power all around. And they're not going to want to let a major competitor have any of that, you know, those advantages. They're going to want the very best on their own programming. But hey, I, if it's Woodstick, I think you could have a hot program going into the fall with Big E and Roman Reigns. Yeah, I would like to see that. I would also, I, I feel like a broken record and I can't believe that I'm back here again already Turn Roman Reigns heel. I or Roman Reigns heel turn going after a babyface Kofi Kingston in the WWE Championship. People are gonna hate Roman Reigns when he takes that belt from Kofi Kingston. I mean, you might as well play into it. I think when you, out of all the arguments that I've heard, this one might make the most sense because the biggest thing when you look at Roman is you gotta you now if you turn him heel, now we have to worry about. PR. Now we have to worry about merchandise. Well, going against the New Day, they could rival. They could they can handle that stuff. You could send Kofi and the New Day out to do those fun little PR projects, or you know, go visit kids in the hospital because they're going to eat that up, and they're going to move just as much merch if you get behind them on it. Yeah, and when I look at the heel side of the roster, we have Daniel Bryan, Samoa Joe making the move over to Monday Night Raw, presumably. Uh, then you have Randy Orton, Lars, Elias. And then there's a drop-off to Buddy Murphy, Chad Gable, Shelton, Benjamin, Aiden English. I still like the idea of, of Gable and Benjamin teaming up to actually be a tag team, maybe get some airtime, because as things stand, I don't think we're going to see either one of them. But there is a real lack of depth on this heel side of the roster, especially if Brian is out, because I'm not going forward into the Fox deal with my heels, with Elias as my number three heel. No way. Well, we have Randy look, Orton look and Lars. Here. Look at here. Uh, we have, we've had Gable and Benjamin tagged before. They were a tag team before Gable went over to Raw in a previous shakeup. So they could revisit that. English, you've got listed. He's working 205 as a commentator. Uh, really nothing going there. Buddy Murphy you versus know. Mustafa Ali renewing their rivalry from 205 Live. I like that as as far as a lower end of the card. No, I, and I actually think, you know, with the work that Buddy Murphy has put into 205, how he's reinvented himself down there, it could be a matter of time. You know, he goes into that program with Ali. He could emerge as one of the top heels on the blue brand. And it's someone we know with his and could buy into that idea of that more sports-like presentation that they're going with. Uh, again, I think really what you've got for the men <clears throat> potentially, especially to really bolster that heel roster is within your tag ranks. You know, at any time you could take the bar, Seamus or Cesaro, and they could fill in there. I, but, you know, they've worked so hard to really come together where you think of them as a tag team. Uh, at any time, you know, again, you've got, Nakamura Day, where they could, you know, just as easily branch off and go into, you know, working. Well, we'll talk about one of them having a singles match this Tuesday. <clears throat> right. Where they could go work into those. As I said, you could do something with New Day in different combinations. You know, if when Kofi does drop that title, you know, Big E would be a tremendous heel. Or, you know, singles baby. In any case, you could have Xavier Woods working as a, 
on the lower end of that card, you know, him and Mustafa Ali could be a good program or him and Buddy Murphy could be a good program at some point. The other one that's going to be interesting is where things kind of stand with Lars, because I, I think Vince McMahon and Lars both think that Lars is going to be a big, big star. And it's going to be how the WWE universe takes to Lars Sullivan, because I think this is going to be a swing and a miss. And if the plan, I'm going to tell you this right now, it, we haven't learned a goddamn thing. Vince hasn't learned a goddamn thing, because you know what I think they're going to do? I think they're going to do Roman Reigns versus Lars Sullivan. And you remember what happened when we did Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns? You turned Braun into the biggest baby face in the fucking company. It's going to happen with Lars Sullivan all over again. And people are going to get behind Lars because he's beaten up Roman Reigns. And then everything is going to fall apart. And that will be the end of Lars Sullivan. And he'll be reduced to mid-card comedy, just like Braun Strowman. And then when you've got to, got to that point where now they're embracing what they should be fearing from a character, you, you've lost it. And you've we've seen that all. with Braun. Uh, you know, they've tried to just regularly push Braun in. You, know, you could push Braun in when you you know when Brock's around easily because it's a great visual. But outside of that, I mean, look at everything that every WrestleMania season for Braun Strowman goes into. He's a novelty act. They can't find anything to seriously do with this guy, and it's taken its toll. You know, his last run where he was supposed to be a you know a credible threat to Brock Lesnar, no one was buying that. No one cared going into that Rumble match. Lars Sullivan says he wants to be WWE champion within 18 months, and I just had flashbacks to Jinder Mahal. That's the only thing I could imagine a Lars Sullivan title reign rivaling is Jinder Mahal. Let's look at the women's roster because as as much as there's a lack of heel depth on Monday Night Raw, there's a lack of babyface depth on SmackDown Live. You obviously have Becky because she's on both shows right now, Becky Two Belts. And then you're all the way down to Carmella. Carmella is the default de facto number one babyface while Becky is over on Raw feuding with Lacey Evans. You have Carmella, Kyrie Sane, Asuka, and Ember Moon. That's what I have the babyface roster at. The heel side of the roster is deep. You have Charlotte on top. Then you have the tag team champions, the Iconics, Mandy Rose. I have Bailey on the heel side of the roster after what happened in Montreal this weekend and the reports coming out. Then we have Mickey James, Lana, Liv Morgan, Sonya Deville. Wouldn't surprise me if they throw Mickey over to the babyface side of the roster and just pay it no attention, kind of like the Charlotte heel turn. Um, just so you have a little bit of depth on the that well, I, I've seen some roster. other shakeups here too. I mean, you could you could easily tell a story with an undercard program where Deville goes to the baby side, you know, with an eventual breakup between her and Mandy. But another thing we have to take consideration for both, you know, both brands, women's divisions, they can really spice it up at times where you only <clears throat> you could possibly need just that championship program, and then you can float your tag champions too. Now, I I would highly suggest that we get someone that's that's going to be more of a draw than the iconics representing this tag division. Cause you're going to want the, you're going to want those individuals to be sort of, you know, like that old school IC champion where they can be absolute workhorses, you know, hit, you know, it'd be great to see them, you know, every now and then hit all three shows in one week or something like that to really put that division over, build that credibility to behind it, which really makes you question, you know, that decision with the iconics and how long lasting is that going to be? You know, that was just some, was that just something to, you know, was it they were they wanted to test Sasha or something like that? Or we, we need something because it was so 
babies over strong, heavy at WrestleMania. We need to get somewhere in here where we're going to swerve some people here and give something to the heels. And that was it. It'd be interesting to see where those go there. Uh, I assume that we're going to get Kyrie and Asuka versus the Iconics in, in short measure. I don't like the Kyrie Sane call up whatsoever. Number one, I don't like Paige with Kyrie Sane and Asuka. That just seems like a very out of nowhere odd pairing where personalities just are, are going to conflict terribly. The other thing is, obviously, I wanted it to be the Sky Pirates. Go ahead and bring up Io Shirai as well. Hell, make them a stable. Put all three of the Asian women together and call them Asian Day or call them the Asian Experience. Call them the Happy Endings for all I give a shit. But put all three of them together. That would make sense. The Robert Kraft Experience. That's what they should be called. The Robert Kraft Experience. RKE. Yeah, I could get behind that. Uh, you know, with Paige, I know the the personas, they're they're on a little bit of, the, you know, heck, they're on different ends of the spectrum here, the way you lay this out here. But I want to give it a chance. You know, let's see if Paige can evolve. Let's see if she can take her character in a different direction and become a good leader for, for these two. Obviously, they need a mouthpiece if they're going to survive. But even the pairing of Kyrie and Asuka, that, that just very conflicting personalities instead of just calling up the sky pirates themselves it was okay no one's gonna notice let's just put the asian girls together we already got one we have no idea what to do with uh Kyrie's already been you know she's already had enough of her shots down there in nxt it's one of those you know piss or get off the pot sort of deals so they it's something that they really didn't put too much thought into you know in the long term it's something they had to make a move with they got Paige sitting there who obviously, you know, who can talk. You know, she'd been a part. She was a G- GM or all that or whatever the hell, a commissioner, whatever the hell she was. So they had to do something with her. And they're still touting out that stupid movie for whatever reason. Yeah, I must be getting ready for Blu-ray release. You, you know who I would have really loved to have seen in that position? I think would have been so much more effective. It really brought a new kind of perspective and vibe to the division, and it really would have done so much more for for the ladies. Was would it be Drake Maverick? Interesting. We have heard there uh, on some of the house shows they've been putting Maverick with EC3. Do you like that pairing on the on the main roster? I I, I do. You know those guys were those guys were gold. That's how they, they got themselves off, over in they TNA. They played off each other so well in TNA. But, you know, with that, I mean, why does, you know, with Drake, let him have a couple clients. He is he is very talented. Yeah. Uh, this guy brings it to the table. I mean, he understands it. He gets it. His persona is off the charts. And when I say put him in there with the when you say put him in there with the ladies, Paige can't take bumps and get in there and mix it up. So it'd be OK. It's not like you need it. Actually, he would be more in a comical role where you do get a spot, you know, maybe where they take the titles and they run into the L.O.P., and he's, you know, pulling a spot with Naya or Tamina or something like that. Well, and that's the other thing that I worry about is Paige is so much bigger than both Asuka and Kyrie that just visually it doesn't work. It's the same problem that people had with Titus O'Neil when he was managing Apollo Crews. It just doesn't work. You can't have the big guy as the manager. You got to have the Leo Rush to the Bobby Lashley, not the other way around. Man, and I sit here and think about it, man. You, you could have created almost with the with the Drake Maverick, having him work, having him have like a women's tag, having him still associated with the AOP, putting with EC three. I mean, you could really you could 
create like a modern day Bobby Heenan. Yep, the Heenan family. You betcha. Let's take a look at the tag division here real quick. You have the Hardy Boys, the New Day, the Bar, Nakamura Day, Heavy Machinery, the Colognes, and the Good Brothers, now with Sanity departing. So that's still a pretty deep tag division, but again, I just don't trust them to actually use more than two of these teams at a time. Well, you look here. I mean, how long has it been with the Colognes? I mean, they might still be dealing with injury. Sanity's gone. Probably a month or so with the Good Brothers left. They, they have no idea. They have There's nothing in me that believes that they have anything really for Nakamura Day. They, they don't know what to do with them individually. They don't know what to do with them together. And yet Shinsuke is going to resign instead of going and fighting Kota Ibushi for the Intercontinental title. Well, it's all about that money. We don't know what New Japan is going to offer him there. That's he might fair. be comfortable here in his lifestyle. You know, he might be fine with this. That's fine with me. It's, if he's fine with that role and he's making good money, that's what it's about. This is a, a career. Um, again, you know, New Day could go in many different directions. The Hardys, I mean, hey, they look phenomenal right now, but, you know, they're, they're aging. Time's you never sticking. know when something could happen. So, I mean, when you look at really what they're setting up here for the immediate future of this division, you got to believe it's heavy machinery. Hey, I love these Otis. I love that act. I just don't like it at the top of the division. Yeah, I agree. They're, right now, they're mid-card comedy. I want to see Heavy Machinery and R-Truth. Those three guys have to do some kind of a skit together. I want to see that. Oh, if we don't get Otis in a seven-second dance break. Oh, yes. Please, God. Pretty lady. Yeah, I could see him going after trying to impress Carmella with his dance moves, do, busting out the worm. You know what? I don't care. Give me that segment. Give me Otis and R-Truth in a dance-off for Carmella. <laughs> I'm all about it. Let's take a look at Monday Night Raw as we wrap this thing up. So the lead headline tonight for Monday Night Raw in Des Moines, Iowa. Of course, I'm not going. New talent looks to make a splash. We just went over all the new talent. Rick, this one still intrigues me. What's in the box? This has to be a, a tease for Bray Wyatt's return, right? Are we expecting Bray Wyatt tonight on Monday Night Raw? Hey, man, just the bird in the box. Uh, this is the most intriguing thing that they have presented to us since WrestleMania. This is probably the highlight of every program since then. Uh, but now we're getting the doll vignettes. You have to believe they're all tied together. Creepy dolls like ventriloquist style. <clears throat> I don't like it. It's creepy. Bray Wyatt is perfect for it. Uh, Lacey Evans calls for the man. And the Miz-Shane drama continues. Evidently, Shane got sent over to Monday Night Raw in the Superstar Shake-Up as well. Nah, he can go anywhere. That's what the, that's when the McMahons did their own shake-up. They said they were going to be anywhere and everywhere. Uh, what they didn't tell us at that time was anywhere and everywhere within three-week gaps. But still, anywhere and everywhere. SmackDown Live, Roman faces repercussions for his actions from last week on SmackDown Live. This is just going to be awful. Roman overshadowing Kofi Kingston is going to end so badly for Roman. They're going to start booing him out of places like Indianapolis. Well, hold on. I mean, well, I mean, it should right now because the only thing they're doing with Kofi, they, every time he goes out there, they, they swing and miss on what should be a great promo moment for him. Uh, he immediately, he's really... I haven't felt that this championship, you know, has been embraced. You know, this eleven years of climbing a mountain, shattering through the ceiling, it it seems that it's already taken a backseat to you know just how they regularly book the new day with just I don't know, you know, slapdick antics that they're that we're accustomed to with them. You would expect that like any heel could come out at any time and just challenge Kofi for that title because right now it doesn't seem anybody wants to be coming after it. 
it's not like even about that moment. Hey, we're I've done this. I want to be this grand champion now. You know, I, I want to show people. And then it just isn't just about you know representing the full blooded African Americans. And I mean, this is just, again, Kofi Mania should be for everybody. It should be. Hey, took me eleven years. You know, outside of when he came out and challenged Seth Rollins, <clears throat> he hasn't done anything with it really. Where he showed that he is proud to be this champion. Now it's more about Big O than anything else. Yep. Kofi Kingston's going to take on Shinsuke Nakamura. This should be a dream match. I, I We should have this newly crowned WWE champion that everybody's been waiting for against the big badass Shinsuke Nakamura. And I, it's just like a tweet. Like, nobody cares. Big O and Xavier Woods going to be at ringside. Evidently, we're going to keep this Kevin Owens thing going with the New Day. This is just awful. This guy was supposed to challenge Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania, and it, it just awful. Or not Kofi Kingston, Daniel Bryan. was He was supposed to be in the Kofi spot. Is this, are we, are we going to get to a point? I know for a long time you've been wanting Kevin to kind of take that role as one of the top babies and run with the thing. Is this more of a setup, though? It screams setup, doesn't it? Like, nobody trusts Kevin Owens at this point. He hasn't been babyface long enough for you to trust Kevin Owens. Well, I mean, he doesn't have the best track record with friends either. Yeah, there is that. He even alluded to that, said, you know, I don't have any friends left because I beat them all up. And then, Rick... For some reason, the man is going to come around Tuesday on SmackDown Live and take on the Queen. Becky versus Charlotte on SmackDown? What? Already. Already. Why? Who did Charlotte go in there with last week? Oh, Carmella. And coming off of WrestleMania when Charlotte should be furious and you go about 50-50 in a match with Carmella and then just pick up a win. Hey, man, Carmella's own Charlotte Flair. Carmella tell you all about it. She beat Charlotte Flair. Even even more reason, even more reason that Charlotte should come out fired up and just take it to her. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of the more baffling things. I almost feel like this superstar shakeup, they've kind of booked themselves into a corner. They'd be better off to just do away with the whole damn thing and unify these rosters. It's a lot of the reason why I, I, I'll stand by it here to close out this WWE talk. I I don't think it's all that important. People are putting too much stock in what this means going to you know the new television deals in the fall. Obviously, you know you know moves like Roman those are going to stand, but the rest of this thing, <clears throat> I'm not so sure. And I'm not sure that we don't see this entire thing go away by SummerSlam. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then go visit our friend Jamie over at LastWordOnProWrestling.com for all of your pro wrestling needs. Also visit Ryan K. Bowman over at TheGorillaPosition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Find us at HackerHameen.Podbean.com every Monday in the locker room. Hameen Media as well. Links to everything. Hitting the marks. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo RBV. Where do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, as always, you can keep up with me uh, across all social media at the real RBV. Want to say a very special thank you. Send a very special thank you out to uh, Mr. BWO. Stevie Richards for filling in for me on uh, HTM Sports last week, but I'll be back looking forward to uh, lots of sports stock coming up. And we'll be uh, 
We'll be hitting airwaves tomorrow afternoon with that. It almost felt like WrestleMania weekend, man. I watched so much freaking basketball over the course of the last two days. Right, we, got, we got basketball. We got hockey playoffs. We got uh, some developments in, the, in Major League Baseball, though it's early in the season. And oh, yeah, that NFL thing's coming up. What was that? Oh, oh, uh, the NFL shakeup. Yeah, the NFL superstar shakeup goes down, starts on Thursday. Huckleberry and I will be talking all about it tomorrow. Twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks. Also, until then, you can find us over at Last Word on ProWrestling.com, TheGorillaPosition.com, HackerHameen.Podbean.com, The Hameen Media Discussion Group. Links to everything. HittingTheMarks.com. We'll talk to you Friday at the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! me don't give up your bad guy